0: Hello and welcome to another installment of BC Museum Portraits. I'm BC Museum Portraits project manager, Spencer Stewart. This episode takes us to Denman Island, where we'll be speaking with Denman Island Museum and Archives archivist, Barry Landine, Ann Paisley, in charge of museum displays and collections, as well as member Dee Fuchs. Barry, Ann, Dee, Dee, thank you for sitting down with me today and and talking about the, the history of the Denman Island Museum. How did you get involved with the museum in the first
1: place? It was a private museum, so the fellow who was, after his wife died, he was in charge of it for years. Then when he died, there was a call out to the community, are people interested in managing this museum? So that's what happened, and that's what brought me in. I don't know if you folks went and came then or came a little bit later. I was a little bit later. Yeah, were you a little bit later than that? I was
2: later, which was about six years ago. I did do what was called a post-baccalaureate diploma at SFU in public history, which was museums, archives, heritage, preservation, and history, various sorts. So I had a little bit of background in that, and I had volunteered at the Vancouver Museum briefly, in the collections. This is in the 80s.
1: My interest in museums was my whole life. I grew up in Washington, D.C., went to the Smithsonian. Every grade one, grade two, grade three, we always did that. So I loved museums, and as an adult, I've gone around and visited little museums. When I was going to university and I needed a job, I ended up working
3: for the provincial government and spent a lot of time from five, five in the afternoon till one in the morning, dusting the museum. Museum so I knew all their old exhibits quite well. When I was younger my mom was the secretary to the speaker house and on school holidays I would go to work with her and she would drop me off at the museum and I got to hang around in the old museum when it was in one in the birdcage on the side and so I got to hang out there So I used to sit around and play with the Argalite collection, and I used to go through all the stuffed animals and birds and... Yeah. And spend hours watching the beehive. Yeah, so those are my two museum connections, other than really being fascinated by old stuff.
1: So how the museum actually started, there was this couple. They began this private collection. They owned the general store. They displayed it in the front of the general store. Then they sold the store, they moved to another house, they displayed it there, it was always open to the public, it was always for free, and they would have certain hours that it was open, and then it was a point where it became like, okay, we're not doing this anymore. So they contacted the museum, the BC Museum, and said, how do we start a museum, what do we do? And so they were advised by Mr. Adams, John Adams. Adams said, you should either start your own society, but it's difficult as if when you don't have any money kind of thing. See if you can find another society that will take you over or join with the society to see if you can construct something. Mm-hmm.
2: They bought the store in 1950 and ran it until about 66. And then had the museum in their house just around the corner. And it was about, it was the end of the 70s, in 1979 I think yeah. the Seniors Club at the time agreed to take it on and in a sense use it as a way to get grant from the provincial government to build a museum. They already wanted their own space because there had been conflict about the community hall over here between the new people. The hippies the back to the Landers and the older people, and there was quite a divide, so the older crowd, members of the seniors' club, didn't want anything to do with the hall anymore because the young people had taken it over, so that coincided with this time when the museum had to go somewhere, so they took that on and did get money from the provincial government. I think about one hundred and fifty thousand
1: the idea was to raise three hundred thousand and it came from different sources. And they, yeah, they fundraised,
2: the property was donated by one of the members of the yeah. community, and they eventually built this in stages. Yeah. So Between 1982, yeah. I think, the first part opened, yeah. and then the last part was, the museum was in over here, and the last part was 94, yeah. where the museum is now. Yeah and mostly volunteer labor Hmm. to build it.
0: Hmm. You were mentioning that some of the early collections had to do with shells and more of almost the natural history of of Denman Island. What are some of the collections that are in the museum and and what stories do they tell of Denman Island?
1: (laughs) We got involved, which wasn't until quite a bit later. We were just essentially dealing with what was left over by the earlier group, Hmm. mostly stuff from the early mm-hmm. settlers and it's whatever people have given us and then the natural history stuff. This is an island that always had a lot of logging and farming so that's why there's that whole outdoor display. So there
0: was a transition that happened with the museum? It wasn't a
1: transition really. It was
3: they really wanted to end the museum at one point point. Yeah. Okay. and they actually got rid of a, a large number of things, items, what
1: that They shouldn't have. Oh, probably shouldn't have. 2015 mm. is when we all started to get involved. This group that was managing, see, they had to manage this whole complex, yeah. which is a difficult process. I think they saw the museum as an irritant, which is the term that was used. Yeah. So right. after this fellow died, this Jim Kirk, they came in and completely cleaned that out because it was just. Just a collection of a lot of old stuff. The people that were involved with this, they wanted to clean that out. So they went in, cleaned everything, and we have to give them a lot of credit for that. There was a woman who was named Sharon Clark and Moira Webster. They, were, they of course, wanted to get rid of the whole thing, but they cleaned everything out, painted everything, and they then put out a call to the community. What, what do you want to do? So when we all came in, I would say we were starting from scratch in a way. So we put together what was in there in a better way than it was before. But looking back, I think a big part of our early years were like getting money. We had zip money to begin with.
2: I was brought back from almost death there. We're trying to broaden what one sees when you go in there by doing yearly temporary exhibitions of of something from the community that isn't... uh, from that pioneer era, about the environment, or about peace movement, or things that aren't aren't based so much, object-based.
0: What were the nature of the archives in the museum, and when you were working with them, was there anything that surprised you about the the
2: history of the island, through working with those documents? One was finding the founding documents of this society, the letters back and forth to the provincial government and various people either looking for money or looking for advice or whatever about when this started. And that ties in with the split in the community. Another project we've done is interviews with people that came in the 60s trying to document the 70s time, which is now, that's 50 years ago, and it's, it'll be gone before long when everybody passes away. So we're trying to move it into the present a little bit.
0: How do you go about Building your exhibitions. What's the what's the process? You know,
3: it was Patty. Yeah. Mostly. She took it on and did all the a lot of research. She had the equipment to do the poster size boards and she's her equipment is no longer supported by anything. Like she can't get the
1: ink for it. And mm. she was just worn out and decided to leave the museum. So they look not that hot. The the pottery one, that was our first exhibit that was to bring us into the modern era in a way and I think that was just an idea we came up as a group sitting around saying okay what can we do then and then the next one we did was education and being a retired teachers was hot on that and was connected to all the different uh, schools here and then we looked back because there were good records and good photos was a natural thing for us to move into Um, then we did the peace movement that those folks came to us and said, would you like us to do something on the peace movement? And we said, great. So, and that's the same thing with the wetlands exhibit that's out there right now. They said, we would like to do this in the museum. Are you okay with that? And we said, great.
0: Were there sessions that you did with them or call outs? What was this, was there a strategy to that or?
1: (laughs) There have been some articles in the paper and trying to get people to know what we're doing. There are people on this island who will come into the museum and they'll say, Boy, I haven't been here in years, and it looked so different. So it was one of those things that's been here that people didn't know about, but I think really it's networking, wouldn't mm-hmm. you
2: say? Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly small community. Yeah. It's, well, 1,300 now. And yeah, people know each other one way. This is a Potter's Island. Yeah. There's a lot of potters here, and has been for 60 years, 50, 60 years. Yeah. So there's obvious histories. To be told, there's a lot of logging at one time. There's a whole story about logging, and there's bits and pieces in the museum and in the archives that you'll find photographs, some documents, and sometimes that a spur something that certainly was what Pat Kelly used yeah. mm-hmm. to build those stories on the boards. Yeah. That's all material or information out of the archives and photographs. You were
0: showing an image of an event that you had in. Looks as though a huge amount of the the island came to sort of... What
1: happened was we had two members of our group who really wanted to do this. So we said, okay, go for this. And so what they did is they interviewed people and made videos of them. Hmm. And so they had some basic questions. From that, we actually got a grant to help produced that, so we got someone who edited it and made it into an actual video. So it was when we decided to show the video, that's when all, that's that picture that I showed, that was the showing of the video. It was about a one
2: hour documentary, and because families are connected, people come out in droves to see their friends and people they know. It's not hard to get people out on the island if there's locals on the stage. (laughs)
0: Thinking about the island from the museum perspective, what are some things that you see going on in the community or or just in the area that that you have an eye to as a museum?
3: There's one that will happen in the spring, hopefully, is we're putting together how you arrived on the island. Mm. Just a little questionnaire thing that people can say, because everybody's story about how they get here is, is quite interesting. You know, people come from, from different places for different reasons, but it's often a very interesting roundabout story. Yes. Or sometimes it's just that their family's been here for two generations already, and this was the obvious place for them to shine up.
1: And our summer exhibit, we've approached their ADMs, which stands for...
2: Association mm-hmm. of Is Denman, Denman Island Warman Marine Stewards. Stewards yes. right.
1: So, and they are very active, they're very concerned about the Bain Sound, they're concerned about what's happening here, so, and they've been real involved with picking up garbage off the beach every single year. So, they are now thinking and talking about as a group whether they want to do the one for the next year. Our next exhibit was going to be on health, Mm. but then we had a pandemic. This is a community that built their own health clinic. And that's that's a very interesting story. It's a real grassroots approach to health. There is a society that is the home care folk. They had their hundred year anniversary or something, so they were giving us some information. We have a, a dental bus here for years that is a school bus,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so the, it's just a different grassroots approach to health.
0: What are some items that have come to the collection recently that you're excited? About? There's been.
2: Different little businesses on the island. There was a tofu producer. There was a guy who made ice cream. And miso. And miso. So there's artifacts from that. Potato sacks from when this used to be known as an island that produced potatoes. And at one time, it was a big turnip producer. Mm -hmm. Somebody brought in some postcards. Early 20th century postcards, a whole collection that a woman on the island who wrote a book about the history of Denman, she collected as a kid, and some of them document on the written side, Denman people's trips abroad or back and forth, so that was interesting. Somebody out of the blue contacted me, a book dealer out in the Fraser Valley, who would go to yard sales or whatever, and he said he had a diary that was connected to Denman connected to the Lacon family, which was a pretty interesting thing, written early, early 20th century over a period of five, six years in bits and pieces, documenting a time when he was a magistrate in Africa in 1907, and then coming to Denman and building the Lacon house at the south end of the island, and all very matter-of-fact.
1: So he sent us this diary he first sent us transcript, then he sent us the actual diary.
2: What
0: are your hopes and aspirations for the, for the museum moving forward?
1: We've had a struggle to get any money. So that, the good news with that is, is that the Comox Regional District has taken over supporting this entire complex with a certain amount of money.
2: This used to be run by a private club, but actually part of their mandate they did not accept any government money Hmm. they just wanted donations or fundraisers but it became impossible so four or five years ago to become funded by government Hmm.
1: with that i don't think the board for this whole place was totally aware about how they needed to fund us the museum so we were having to go back and talk to them about hey the reason this exists in part is because of the museum museums cannot survive unless That's my belief, unless they have some umbrella organization, government or society or whatever that's going to support them. Now we have a board that does understand that, and the CVRD does understand that, so we will have some money. Put it in perspective, we used to operate on a
2: a few, a couple hundred dollars a year.
1: Yeah. And
2: now it's a couple thousand. Farther out, because it's such limited space, it'd be nice to have a bigger space so we could accept more material, have more ambitious exhibitions, have more storage for records. Even if it was simply a storage place, maybe in concert with other small museums, so you could have material you would bring out and others you could put back, it would, would make a big difference.
1: The other thing is because we never had any money, we haven't really improved the building as much as we would like. We did have a bunch of lighting put in because when we first became involved, none of those lights for any of those cabinets were done, unfortunately. There was a volunteer here on Demon, which is the way everything is done, who, if we could provide the money for the supplies, he did most of that for free. We would like to continue to improve the front of the museum. We would like to put on the deck. So much of our effort really is improving the way the museum looks. Mm. We want to do something about music on Demon. Mm. We want to do, because there's a great music community, and Barry was working at one point on collecting the CDs. Collecting documented
2: musicians on the island, and talked about collecting somehow, maybe digitally, and having an archival record of artists. There's a lot of artists on these profiles, somehow to document there. Presence probably not collecting works, but I'm sure people would donate if we wanted, or at least make a digital record of of artists. Um, I and two others are starting to work on a a new history book of Denman, from quite a different perspective of the the, the current one, which was written in 1979. So there's a bunch of things that have gone on that could be brought up to date. So that's. We'll process, but will happen eventually.
1: We had a timeline that was done by a student on a grant, in like a long time ago, and it ran across the top, and it was all done by hands. But people criticized it because it didn't have any acknowledgement of indigenous people. So we took it down and just started to work on it. And we have a couple people that are working on it, but it's not that easy to figure out what to put on it and how to and keep the information about indigenous people both the historical and all the, also the more current stuff. So we've contacted the Comox community. We're developing a policy that would that would say that if in fact people do offer us indigenous artifacts the first thing we would do was go back to the community where they came from mm-hmm. ask them if they wanted it and had the capacity to take care of it at that time if not if they wanted us to be their the caretaker. One of my tasks was writing an article to let the community know that we're working on this.
2: The book we're talking about writing would have a chapter of certain Indigenous history up to the present, and there's lots of evidence on Denman of occupation. There's very, very extensive middens Mm -hmm. on Denman. Some of them that you can see are probably eight feet or more in four areas for sure within the Strait of Georgia, it's probably one of the biggest concentrations of middens of that size.
0: What are some of the other chapters that you're that you're writing? It's probably gonna be
2: chronological and focus on things that were in the center of life at the time. So There'd be a bunch on logging, which was big in the twenties, but it happened throughout time, so you would stretch that out. In the sixty or seventies the composition of the population changed somewhat because people started moving here and there were young people that had different ideas, so that changed the community. The guy who's leading it, his vision is to have it built mostly of quotations Mm. from the period that you're talking about. One of the focuses will be trying to look at it from a community perspective of people getting together and doing things for themselves, whether it's an organization like a conservancy or whether it's in the 20s, logging figuring out ways to get logs out that weren't in, in, on an industrial scale necessarily. The um, okay. community was a subsistence thing somewhat, yeah. so uh, people would have to get together because it's an island to ship their produce. Denman had one of the earliest telephone systems started in the First World War. Because they got together and said, "Hey, we we're going we're to make a phone system," and they did it themselves, and then connected it. But it was a private community-owned system until they sold it to BCtel. Things like
1: that. this is a real grassroots community. You don't have a government presence so much, so people get together and they do what they want to do. They create what they want to do, whether it's a, a conservation organization or a music, or whether it's a museum. And I think that that. Museum, the way it was formed is very typical of of Dimmon Island. That's Mm -hmm. the way it happens here.
2: That's people who have a passion for something and and do it. I mean, lots of people have ideas, but you're going to do it? (laughs) Well,
0: thank you very much for sitting down and speaking with me about the, the history of the museum.
2: Okay.
0: Great. You're welcome. This has been another BC Museum Portrait. BC Museum Portraits is done in partnership with the BC Museum Association. To hear more portraits and view the accompanying images made by project photographer Taiyu Hayward, please go to museum.bc.ca.
3: Thank you very much for listening.